This morning we are, uh, we're continuing a series that we're doing this fall using the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and if you're wondering, um, the, the, this series is part of why we have the baptismal right here at the front of the door. That's a traditional, a traditional location of the baptismal font in many older churches. So the people of God are reminded um, what is the entryway into the community of God. It's what God does for us to mark us as his own people. Um, so you're welcome to dodge the baptismal font or um, maybe not run right into it, but um, you could go up to it, uh, touch the water as a, as a physical reminder. What God does in this world is, is physical and not just disembodied, whatever, however that would be helpful to you. Um, I know we, we've now started uh, announcing that um, on October 3rd, we're having a night for a service of healing prayer here. And um, I just wanted to mention again, specifically, because I know uh, for many people that idea comes loaded with baggage. Um, some of you have um, sort of charismatic PTSD or proximal charismatic PTSD. You see the people on TV and you're like, I don't want anything to do with that, which is fair enough. That's not uh, what's going to happen here that night. Um, it is biblical to pray for healing. That's in the Gospels. It's in the book of James. It is in the testimony of the early church. This is a regular part of the life of God in the people of God, and we want to invite you to have that space for it. Um, and it'll be about an hour and 15 minutes. I, I met with the group of people who will be praying with us together, and we prayed for that night, and I think it's going to be really great. So I'd encourage you to come. God heals people in all kinds of different ways, at all kinds of different speeds and times, and we're not in control of any of that or demanding of God any of that. God is a good Father, and we feel free to ask of Him and let Him do what He wants. Um, so if you are physically in pain, if you are suffering spiritually, if you are uh, alone, if you are experiencing relational disease and fracturing, these are all kinds of things that God does for his people. I encourage you to just bring them. Um, and then we'll see what God does. I, I don't know, and I'm not promising anyone anything. Um, my job, our job, is to point to Jesus and let Jesus be a good shepherd to us. Um, I can tell you my own experience. When I was, um, when I was 10 years old, I had, was on like year two of a knee condition that I came to found out, that I came to find out was called osteochondroitin descans, and I may have pronounced that wrong. I was 10, I don't know. Um, for years, my parents had thought I was having growing pains, but it was daily agony to straighten my legs and they just kind of said, like, this will pass, um, hopefully. And then one day, I, I couldn't stand up out of bed, so I crawled out of my bedroom. And then they said, this is probably not growing pains. <laughs> um, so they went to the doctor, and pieces of my cartilage were dying in both of my knees. And I, I needed to get pins in my knees. Um, and I was not a fan of that idea, understandably. And uh, so I was a child, so my response was childlike. Let's just ask God, let's just let, maybe Jesus will just take care of it. And then we went to a little church, and they all laid hands on me. And, um, 
And I could, I don't know, I just felt like stuff was moving in my knees. And I, we went back to the doctor for a preoperative appointment. They took another set of x-rays, and the doctor said, what did you do? These x-rays are not those x-rays. What happened? And I was just like, Jesus healed me, of course. I mean, <laughs> duh. And so that time, God did what I was hoping he would do, what I was asking him to do. Now, other times, I, t- I have taken that kind of faith when I was a little older and prayed for people, and then I was there at their funeral. That's, that's real. And, and God didn't change. And it wasn't that I was good enough one moment and bad enough the next moment. Sometimes the Father does things that I cannot understand. And that's okay. It's heartbreaking at times, but I have to learn to trust him to be my good father. So that's, that's the spirit in which we're going to do this night. So bring whatever you got, and let's just go to Jesus. He's good, and he'll hold us either way. We can trust him in that. Um, we are going to, I'm going to read a couple passages, one from Isaiah and one from the book of John. Um, They might actually be familiar to you, quite familiar. So I'm going to start in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Usually we read this passage in Advent. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then this is the intro to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everything, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
in truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are a God of self-disclosure. You do not leave it to us to figure things out, but instead you have come and demonstrated yourself to us. I pray that our hearts would be soft, our ears would be open, our eyes would be open, that we would hear and see you in your word, that our hearts would be shaped and formed, that we would truly confess that we believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, is our Lord. Amen. That line of the Apostles' Creed is what we were talking about this morning. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, is our Lord. Um, last week we talked about the first article of the Apostles' Creed, which discusses the nature of God as Creator, the Almighty Ruler of all things. And this second article is uh, discussing Jesus. And most of the creed by proportion, is talking about Jesus. And we're, by and large, going to move line by line through this Apostles' Creed and look at the Scriptures with that lens. Um, Karl Barth, a famous theologian from the 20th century, said, really, the second article of the Apostles' Creed is the fountain from which the first and the third articles spring. We are... We are Christian people who have a particular understanding of the nature of God the Father, of God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and really all of that comes down to Jesus. It springs from the wellspring of who Jesus is. So today we start this long examination of what we mean when we talk about Jesus. And really it comes down to the centrality of Jesus and our understanding of God and the nature of of the world. And this one line, Jesus Christ, only Son, our Lord, has a load packed into it. There's a lot of meaning tucked into this one line of the creed. And really, uh, there is real challenge for us if you are a person of honest faith um, who is walking through the world with open eyes and ears. This one line contains in it a lot of the difficulty that people have with belief in God. And that, we've already talked about how belief, trust in the church doesn't mean certainty. So there's probably plenty of us who struggle with those same things and are inside the church as well. Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. Just in the name alone, Jesus Christ is united these two strands of Christian belief that for us is quite challenging. Jesus is a person that was born in Bethlehem 
lived in Nazareth in a particular region of the world, and we are making claims about him that are universal and cosmic in nature. And you're also saying that he's not just anybody, just some, some person who, a uh, floating deity out there in the world, but that he is the Christ. And when we say that, we're, saying, we're not saying, you may not know this, Christ is not Jesus' last name. He did not go by Mr. Christ on his, all of his legal documents. Christ is a title. Christ means anointed one. Christ is referring, is a Greek way of talking about the Jewish idea of a Messiah. And so what we're saying is this person is tied up in the particular story of Israel. And that person, that name is both universal and cosmic in nature and import and very, very, very particular to the world. If you, uh, if you don't spend a lot of time thinking about these things in and around and with people who did not grow up in the church, you can forget how crazy this sounds. For many people, this is one of the biggest barriers to Christian belief. How can you possibly believe that one person born in a tiny country in a barren wasteland stretch of the globe is somehow the king of the whole world about whom belief and faith must be correct and everybody else who doesn't believe that about this one person from this one place, they are wrong. How can you possibly believe that? That is insane. And you have to, to some degree, acknowledge the legitimacy of what they are saying. It sounds crazy. In, in theology, we call this problem the scandal of particularity. That God would be so particular in His plan is scandalous. And only has become more scandalous in our mind. The more that we know about the rest of the world, how many diverse peoples there are, how many people have never had any access to any knowledge about Jesus, the more this idea becomes more and more and more scandalous. How can you possibly believe? And yet, this is what the church has confessed as centrally important about what we are saying for the entirety of its existence. And, and do not be confused. We are not receiving this creed from Scripture and in the context of the early church, removed from a time and place where they did not think about this. The ancient Mediterranean world was awash in deities. It wasn't like this made sense to them either. The people of the day, and you could read this in the book of Acts, they come into this context, this claim, this unique, particular, exclusive claim about Jesus, and the people of that day are saying, you're nuts. Of course there are lots of different gods. This one sounds whatever, fine, but how can you throw away all the other ones? Their anger at this idea 
was such that they killed the people who told them about it. That's why they killed them. So this idea that people are offended today about this idea is not new. That anger has been burbling along for millennia. So how and why does this make sense for us? And my, my claim to you is that it does make sense. The particularity of God's revelation, the singularity, the exclusivity of God's revelation of his self-disclosure is important because it tells us something both about the nature of revelation above God, about God, and about the rule of God. Both revelation and rule are tied up in this story that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. It is important that we are saying that God particularly chose to be born into the world in Israel and is announcing himself as this Lord because that particularity means that God cares, the God, the creator, almighty God, cares enough to invade and advance into the world of humanity. The other idea, if God is not like this, if God does not care about coming into the story like this, then God is somewhere out there, maybe. And he is maybe hoping that you figure something out about him. And then ultimately he doesn't care how right or wrong you are. If you would just stumble your way in his direction, that that's all he cares about. But that God is entirely removed from you. And ultimately doesn't care if you actually know him or not. Doesn't care if you're right about him or wrong about him. He's entirely uncaring in that regard. But the particular story of the church is that God definitely cares that you specifically and particularly know Him. So He advances into the story, comes towards you, comes after you, and He does it as a creature. This is the craziness of the Christian story that in this first article of the creed we confess, God is the creator of all things. He is almighty. He is ruler of everything. And he becomes a creature so that his creatures, you and I, would know him. And that particularity of rule is so that that kingdom would come to you. And this is important too because we face Actual evil in the world. Real evil done to you. Real evil coming at you. And the early Christian church, when they are confessing that Jesus is Lord, the King of a kingdom, they are saying that there actually is hope in this world, that there might be a kingdom in this world that would stand opposed to that one. The one that's oppressed them. The one that's enslaved them. The one that has ruined lives. There might be hope that in this world, there actually is a kingdom that will go get that one and crush it. 
And if God is not that way, if he's not the kind of God that comes into the story to actually establish a kingdom, then he, again, he's somewhere far off in the invisible mountain of the cosmos saying, gosh, I hope this ends someday. I hope things would be better. And ultimately, he doesn't care if those things oppress you and crush you, and he doesn't care if they enslave you or if you participate in the own slavery of those systems and kingdoms and powers. But because Jesus is this way, he is advancing, he is advancing his kingdom to rule and to reign and to set you free. That particular story that is our story, that is Israel's story, matters. So when we read Isaiah 9, and we hear this prophecy of the people who've lived in great darkness, and now they can live in hope that a light is coming. They can live in hope that there's somebody, a child is going to be born, that he will bear all of these names. And when they have all these other foreign powers listed in there that you don't understand, you don't know who Midian is, you don't care about who Midian is, you're not worried about Midian, and you shouldn't be. Midian's gone. But you should know that God knows the name of every single enemy that you have. And He will break the rod of their oppression over His own knee. And He will put upon Himself these lists of names. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, He will wear David's crown. Because Israel's story is telling the whole world, you and I included, that God did not create and step away, but instead created and stepped into, and He will perpetuate and redeem and establish His own kingdom that will overthrow all the other kingdoms of this world. The rule of God particularly matters. And yes, it is challenging and confusing to say, okay, what about all these other people? But that is why the nature of the revelation of God matters as much as the rule does. Because what we're saying is that God discloses Himself. I don't believe in this idea of exclusivity or particularism because I love the idea. I didn't write, you know, I got to find a way to just make this whole exclusive idea make sense because I love exclusivism. That's not what it's about. When John writes in John chapter 1, the problem that we faced, his fundamental problem that humanity faced, that Israel faced, and therefore we faced, is that no one had seen God. Do you hear that in John 1? He made the whole world. Through Him and by Him, everything was made. He entered into the world Himself. And the people, His very own people, John says, don't recognize Him. And, and everything that we were relying on was a, a message <clears throat> A disclosure from afar. But the nature of Jesus is so radically different compared to anybody else. Everything changes, John says in John 1, when God, the only God who has always been with the Father and has seen Him face to face, comes to us. 
The nature of revelation is not that some ideas are, are floating out there that, that God hopes you figure things out what is true. God introduces himself to you. Grabs us by the face and says, you would miss me if I walked by you. You've missed me all your life. You can say how much it's a spiritual experience to go walk in the woods or be with friends or eat good food or whatever you want, but you miss me on the street if I don't grab you by the face and show you what I look like. And Jesus Christ is what God looks like. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of the searching and wondering. And other people might be out there grasping, might even be understanding some true things about the nature of God because he's a good creator and he's good at creating. So they might say like God is probably loving and he's probably out there and he might be a little bit like this and those things might be kind of true, but God wasn't content for you to know those things. He wants you to know everything that you can possibly know about Him. So He puts Himself in front of you with the hands of a creature and puts Himself in your face and says, this is what I'm like. This is what I am like. All of humanity's hopes particularly hinge on Jesus. And I don't believe in particularity and exclusivism because I like those ideas. I believe in them because there is no one like Jesus. I have never met anyone like Jesus. I have never heard anyone teach like Jesus. I've never seen anyone live like Jesus. I've never seen anyone be to me what Jesus has been to me. I believe in this thing that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, our only Lord, because I've never met anyone like Jesus. And ultimately, the whole thing hinges on this person. The question that's embedded in the creed is, have you met Jesus? Have you met him? It's, it's fun to talk about this idea on paper. How can this be the only way? How can this be possible? This doesn't make any sense. But the real question is not on paper. It's in your face. Have you met Jesus before? Because the idea may offend you. The idea may get up in your sensibilities and offend you as a, a modern, Western, open-minded person, but that's not the question. The question is, have you met Jesus? Because that changes everything. And that Jesus, who is like that, He is my King. He is, he is my King. He, he is our Lord above anything and everything. His singularity, his absolute uniqueness in the world means that to him I owe all my allegiance. There is no pledge of allegiance that I can give to anyone or anything except for Jesus because he is singular, high and above any other person I've ever met. And I, I don't emotionally know how to work out the existence of all these other people. 
and other, other ways that they perceive to be valid. But I've met Jesus, and I trust Him. I trust Him to be singularly good and wise and just. And so when I recite the creed, I have the person of Jesus in my mind's eye. When I confess my faith and my trust, I'm not confessing trust in the absolute certainty that I can muster about all things. I'm confessing my trust in Jesus. And when I stand outward facing the world that is so broken by sorrow and sickness and death and disease and wickedness that is both out there and in me, I take great comfort in that Jesus being the kind of king who, as it said in Philippians 2, leaves aside all the rights of kingly ruling and becomes a servant. Because that is the miraculous, unbelievable twist in this whole thing. Is that God's self-disclosure, the fullest, clearest revelation of the nature of God, is this carpenter from Nazareth who would take off all of the vestiges of power and authority, take off his outer robe and wash the feet of his disciples and put himself on the cross that he might forever shut the mouth of the tomb for him, his people for all time. It is the servant, bloodied, broken word of God that is the most shocking revelation of the nature of God that begs you to trust him. That God is worthy of your trust and is like no one else. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus, if you do not trust him, my, my plea to you today is come and meet him. He is before you today. Paul would say in his letter to the Corinthians, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you do not know him and you have never responded to the call of God, Today is the day where Jesus is coming after you. And you are invited, encouraged to respond. And he, he doesn't, he knows all the particularities of your own story. And he's already proven himself to be the kind of God who steps into the story of humanity. He's not put off by your particularities of your story. He's come to particularly save you already knows all the list of things that you think should repel him. Doesn't care. He came for you. And if today you said, I've known Jesus, but my heart has grown cold. I have wandered away. I am consumed by doubt. This Jesus is your king. He already saw you that way. 
He already became acquainted with every feature of your story, all the ways that you are fractured and sinful and wandering. He already knew it, and he came for you anyway. You, particularly. And this morning is the day that you hear the good news again. That this is the only Son of God, your King. And He will be faithful to you, even if you have not been faithful to Him. Today is the day to turn back home. Whether it's been a real bad weekend, a real bad week, a real bad month, or year, or ten years, today's the day to turn back. And you'll find your king there waiting right next to you. This is the great hope of our people, of the Christian people, of the church. This is our great hope. It's Jesus. He bears up all of our hopes for this life now and forever into all eternity. And he is up to the task. He is more than enough. He is our King. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are revealing yourself to us, that you have revealed yourself in Jesus, and that you are continuing to pursue and reveal yourself to us. Father, I pray that our our hearts will be in your hand. And we would see the great hope of you coming into our story to redeem the story of all of humanity, to fulfill Israel's story, to bring us individually and collectively into yours. And Father, I pray that everyone who has been bound and heavy laden with shame, with doubt, with fear, this morning would find the burden being lifted from their shoulders. That you, by your Holy Spirit, would come to the hearts of your people and assure them of your love for them particularly. Jesus, I pray that you would silence the voice of the accuser, that you would silence the lies whispered in our ears, and you would instead present your verdict rendered clearly, fully, finally in our great King. Stir up faith in us, Lord Jesus. Stir up love. We thank you that you came for us, that you initiated, and we respond that you're ever the initiator. Help our lives to be that of joyful response. Make our hearts leap in love for you as you deserve. Thank you for this, Jesus. Amen.